a bi-weekly podcast that aims to change the conversation on diversity in cinema one reel at a time. We often do so by revisiting overlooked and underappreciated films. My name is Courtney Small. Today I'm joined by the lovely Kristen Lopez, whose work has been published in numerous publications, including The Hollywood Reporter and RogerEbert.com, just to name a few. Kristen, how are you doing today? I'm good. How's the weather down there, by the way? It's uh, actually supposed to rain today and tomorrow. Oh, okay. Because as, as we were recording this, we are in the, the midst of a two-day ice storm here in Toronto, so it's it's been fun. Yeah, it's supposed to rain today and tomorrow, and then next week it will be really sunny, so go figure. So, you know, they, they tell me it's spring, so that's what I, I tell myself that in my mind. Yes, exactly. <laughs> my regular co-host, Andrew Hathaway, is on hiatus for the year. Uh, he's focusing on his writing. He's also co-producing a video game, which is going to be coming out later this year. But you can still support his work by visiting his Patreon account over at CanStopTheMovies.com. And if you feel generous, you can also support Patreon account at the Modern Superior website, because they're the podcasting network that hosts our show. We'd like to start off each episode by highlighting one short film that you can watch for free online. Our short film today is Olivia Newman's 2010 film, First Match. The short film is the inspiration for the 2018 feature-length film of the same name, which you can actually view now on Netflix. And the story follows Mo as she prepares for her first wrestling match as part of an all-boys team. Uh, Kristen, did you get a chance to uh, watch this short? I did. And what were your thoughts on it? I really liked this. I'm, I'm kind of a sucker for familial dramas that are about female independence. Maybe because I have a very acrimonious relationship with my own father. <laughs> so watching this story where this, this young woman just wants validation from her dad, she wants his attention. I, you know, I thought that was really poignant that, you know, children do want their parents around at certain times and parents are often at the mercy of day jobs and this need to sacrifice to provide for their children. But what are they really sacrificing in, in the grand scheme of things? And I also really was fascinated by how this movie doesn't just play with gender in terms of, oh, female wrestler having to deal with sexism, but also how biology and things that women experience that men don't ends up kind of coming back to to haunt them even though they do their best not to that's a very oblique way of saying something but it's there i'll give you credit that's skillfully put because i wasn't sure whether or not to to dive in and kind of spoil that aspect of the film because it is it is shocking and almost mortifying in in a way so i, I like how you how you phrased it tiptoeing around it I will say that for, for my first experience with this film, I, w I really liked it as well, and I'm glad that there is a feature length. I had a chance to watch it yet, but I remember on my first viewing of this short thinking, I kind of want to know more about Mo and her relationship with her father, because there's, there's a lot going on there that we, we get snippets of, and I w really want to dive in more to that, so it's, it's great now that we actually have that opportunity. And there's something about how this film is structured, because there's a lot of times I think that it's going to just play with the, the same kind of sports tropes, but it really doesn't. Like You kind of feel the, the awkwardness that Mo has in every aspect of her life, you know, trying to get her father's attention, not quite fitting in with the rest of the girls at school. They're at that age where they only seem to want to talk about boys or be around boys. And then you've got the boys who are young and due to their egos don't know how to interact with her as a, as a wrestler you know they always have to find excuses for for when they lose and some wrestlers on the opposing team are they don't want to wrestle her because she's a girl but also partly you get this feeling that they'd be embarrassed if they lost to her especially in a competitive format so there's a lot going on here and i think that it's 
it's nicely condensed in, in 14 minutes. Yeah, I, I definitely appreciated that there's a lot of different things at play, but all of them really bo- boil down to how women are damned if they do and damned if they don't. So, like, the, the young girls that she doesn't associate with in the locker room are talking about being propositioned by a guy sexually. You know, the fact that her dad is only interested in coming to see if she's better than him. And when he he believes that she isn't, he leaves. You know, the, the guys are debating whether they can grab her in certain areas and whether that's fair. And, you know, I just, I always roll my eyes like, if you can't tell the difference between whether you're going to accidentally graze a boob while you're wrestling versus actively trying to grope somebody, maybe you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. You know, so there's this this real back and forth that she wants to be a team player. She wants to make her dad proud. She wants to present herself as an assertive woman. And she's still not able to please everybody. And I think the end of the short is her deciding how she can please who, deciding who she wants to make happy and ultimately what will make herself happy. And that might not be making everybody that she wants, making her popular to everybody. But at the end, she makes a decision that seems to indicate that it's about her and not anybody else. Yeah, and I think by the end, the acceptance that she gets, or at least is hinted at, is not necessarily the, comes from the place that she expected it to like her her focus is so much on her father's approval that get hints that maybe you know the team is is going to rally around her moving forward in a way that her father can't and there's a very interesting interplay between her and her father especially when she goes to see him at the job because he's he's working he doesn't want to be bothered and as you mentioned you know she talks about how well i'm better than you dad and you know come and come and watch and he there's part of him that's you know joking around oh really let's you know yeah i'd love to see that but then there's also that side of him that's like you know i'm working hard to put those braces in your mouth and if your mouth gets damaged don't come crying for me to me because you know i'm not going to help you anymore and there's that weird tension in terms of you know he yes he's sacrificing for his child and doing everything he can but there still needs to be a sense of nurturing that he doesn't know how to grasp and we're going to talk a bit a bit more in our in the feature film that we're discussing but i find in a lot of films when they show parents who are really working to provide they they get so consumed by the job that they forget that it's the little things that sometimes children really need i think there's also a little bit of jealousy that that his daughter is getting things that he can't get you know the braces and and all of that and and if she's better than him that's that was his thing you know and and there's a shot of the wrestling picture where he's obviously the only black man on the team and and i think there's this belief from the character that if she's better then what does that leave him as an accomplishment you know i I really appreciate movies or anything really that that talks about the dichotomy between parents and the individual because i think we all forget that our parents were people that had their own dreams back before they had us so you know i think i think that he feels very threatened by the fact that she proud yes but also threaten that that might be something he loses that makes him unique. Yeah, that is true because, you know, when we see him, he's he's working hard, but most of it is him doing, like, the, the grunt work, 
if you will. It's a yeah, it's a very blue collar minimum wage type of gr- graveyard shift job. Mhm. And you know, if, if I remember correctly, you don't see the mother at all in no. in this film. So it's really about them cuz when he's not around, she's There's not even an implication that there is one. Yeah, she's just kind of left to her own devices while he while he works. So yeah, that that is a good point. He you know, through her even though he's trying to provide the best for her there is probably a hint of jealousy that his life has kind of been reduced to this while she's getting the opportunities that he thought his career would would take him do we want to talk about the ending kind of briefly sure so so yeah i mean i don't i don't necessarily think it's a spoiler but the movie has this moment where she gets her period and I thought that was something worth discussing because I think movies, especially movies written by men, still have this very juvenile response to menstruation. I think of, and it's a really terrible example, and I'm probably the only one that remembers it, I just think every movie about have a girl having their period is that skit in movie 23 where it's just an extended like guys freaking out over over chloe moretz getting her period for four minutes i'm not even kidding that's the whole concept of the short um you don't need to watch movie 23 to see it okay i have not seen that film so 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 regardless there's still this this when it's about guys talking about menstruation it's still okay i'll use a better example jonah hill freaking out that this girl bled on his leg and super bad you know it's like oh my god how dare they? I'm going to get... It's almost like a guy going around screaming, I'm going to get AIDS. You know, it's just very overreactive. You know, it's something that we're, women just, like, roll their eyes about. Stephen King's another great example. Like, ev- he assumes every woman is terrified about getting their period. N- no, we really don't care. In fact, many of us were really excited, okay? Um, and then we got it. We were like, what the hell were we thinking? So I, I like that this movie, as soon as they started freaking out something, there was blood on the floor. I was like, well, she got her period, right? I didn't even think that it was, you know, maybe that she had hurt the guy. So I thought that was really creative that it's like, it's embarrassing, but at the same time, you know, the movie makes you question how we treat women bio- who have this biological process that if we could control it and deal with it, we would. We wouldn't have these moments that, you know, guys could freak out about it. So I think it's a really big deal when, when somebody, the implication is that it's like one of the team members hands her clean clothes, that it's acknowledging this in a way that's very adult and not like, ew, girl blood. So I thought that was great. Yeah, it, it's funny, though, because when that scene happened, your instant response was, oh, she got her period. Whereas my instant re- response was, oh, the other team is trying to fake a, a call to save face. So when it's revealed that it is an it's like, oh, okay, that's, you know, I wasn't expecting that. And I agree with you. It's handled in a in a wonderful way. And when you're talking about the representation of menstruation in cinema, my mind always goes to... Ginger snaps, which again is a yeah. is a great way to take a female's change, especially at that age, and and turn it into something deep. And you know, in this case, they they twist it into the horror genre, but in a way that makes you think about women and the process that their body goes through, but also just their their mind and everything at that age. And it's a complete contrast to the super bad example. Because yes, you're right. Pretty much any time a film is directed by a man or written by a man, it has anything to do with menstruation. It is a sight gag for for shock and awe, if you, if you will. Yeah, it's it's still really ridiculous that most movies that are about like female coming of age either avoid that topic or they have to make a big deal about it. Um, the movie I always use as a great example is My Girl because it's both like 
freaking out. But at the same time, it's present it's it's discussed very logically and not b- built in a way to scare women. So I don't think any movies really hit on it yet, at least in terms of what I've seen. But yeah, I thought this was it was handled very deftly and it's very open ended. And the fact that she can still go back in. Like, I can tell you, I wouldn't have gone back. <laughs> I'd have been like, nope, I'm going to be known as that girl that got her period during this whole thing. But I think it's the fact that she can go back and and do it again, you know, says a lot about her, her inner, you know, tenacity. Yeah, I agree. When I was thinking about the mort- being mortified, it was it was more in the sense of the, the reaction of everyone else. Because yeah. her team kind of notices, and then they almost turn away, not out of shame, but almost to give her a bit of privacy. The other team is mocking her, and then you have the the look of all the girls sitting along the sidelines. That they range from embarrassment to laughter to shock, and she's just kind of there. And even when she realizes it, she's like, mm, "Okay, this is yeah, this has happened." And you know, there's there's many ways that she could have handled that. And again, if it was a male director, it would have probably been she was running out of the gym crying, you know, throwing her gym stuff away and. This one is just very calmly, it sucks that it happened at that particular moment, and it sucks that, you know, that's the, the cue for Dad to pick up and leave, but she's still going to fight another day. She's a lot stronger than people will, will say about her, especially if she's going to be a, a wrestler on an all-boys team. She's she's just going to be stronger mentally anyway. Yeah, I think it's I think it's very telling that her dad leaves after that. Like, nope, not dealing with that. All right, well, I think we've covered that topic very well. Um, we're going to take a quick moment to change the reels, and then we'll be back with our feature film of the day. <laughs> our main film for today is the 2016 Disney film Queen of Kadwe. Directed by Mira Nair, the film tells the true life story of a young Ugandan girl named Fiona, whose life is forever changed when she is introduced to the game of chess. Um, Christian, had you seen this film before, or was this I, your first I time? I saw this uh, when it came out. Um, they did several press screenings for this, trying to get people to go see it, um, and I went, and I I love this movie. Whether you want to say it was marketed poorly by Disney or or they intentionally undersold it, this movie should have done far better. You know, I will agree with you that it it should have done far better. This was my first time seeing it, and I think it was marketed horrifically. And I do remember that when this film played TIFF, I guess back in 2016, and that was the same year that I think it came in second runner-up for the People's Choice Award, which uh, shocked a lot of people, because that was the same year that, you know, La La Land obviously took the big prize, and I think Lion was the first runner-up, and I was silently cheering for for Moonlight, you know, Moonlight, I guess, kind of blew up towards the end of the festival, um, opposed to early in its run, so... I I had avoided it just because the marketing made it seem like it was going to be just a straightforward sports s film about a young girl that is good at one thing and then, you know, overcomes it all. And even the trailers shows like her with a lot of trophies and her winning certain matches. I felt like they were telling me the, the whole story. Sitting down and having watched it, I realized what the trailers is marketing and what the film actually is is two completely different things. Like, this film was so much more enriching than I thought it was going to be. And it's, yes, it's a film about a girl who is great at chess and, you know, rises up the ranks. But for me, it was really a, a story of mothers and daughters. 
and how this mother's sacrifice helped to propel this girl to greatness, even if the girl didn't even realize it at the time. Yeah, it's it's definitely one of the best, I, I think, in the last couple of years, movies I've seen about about a mother's relationship to her, her children. And also, I think a lot of people were turned off, and I'm, I'm going to be blunt about this, because of racism. It's, you know, it's a movie that is very unapologetic about its setting. You know, it's set in Uganda. The the characters all talk in very heavy dialect. And it's a movie that ends with them not being assimilated into, you know, uh, something that we know is white American society. Fiona doesn't end the movie being given this opportunity. I think of something like, it's a bad example, but I think of something like Bend It Like Beckham. You know, where her goal is to go to America and play American soccer. There's none of that here. The movie ends and they're still in Uganda and that's fine. You know, that's okay. It's really unapologetic about showing you what Uganda looks like. And yes, there's a lot of poverty, but at the same time, there's this community atmosphere to it. Two hours of watching an advertisement for, you know, for 50 cents a day, you can help this small child be lifted out of poverty. It's not like that. And I think people are really turned, well, I'm going to say white people, and I am a, a white person, so I'm condemning my own, you know, skin tone. But I think people are really still confused on how to handle that. That they're like, wait, what? This, this place doesn't look that, it doesn't look like us, you know? So how do we deal with that? I, I think that's part of it. And you know what? Somebody can send an angry email to me saying I'm a white racist, but I think that that's part of it. I think people assume movies like this need to end with like the American dream. And that's not the same for every country, nor should it be. So I, I think that that plays into it. Disney didn't know how to market it to white America. It's it's funny because from from the black perspective, my fear, and I think part of the reason I was also avoiding it, it was I felt that it was going to be one of those, as you said, 50 cent a day type commercials, which still baffles me that they, they run those, even, even up here in Canada, like daily uh, in the mornings. Yeah, the whole concept of like playing right into what we know, like it's a shithole country. Look at it. So horrible. Exactly. So I thought that that's, that's what this film was going to be. Like, you know, I don't even want to say Slumdog Millionaire-esque, but just... Yes. But very much in that kind of vein of, oh, look at all these poor people and oh, they don't know any better and oh, their life is so horrible. But oh, Chess, you know, brought her out and she's going to have a better life. Whereas the film is not about that. Yes, they, they struggle a lot in this film, but it's done in a way that, as you said, there is still a sense of community and the simple fact of her learning chess because it was a way for her to get food is, is tackled in a way that doesn't feel forced or heavy-handed. And I think what really raises this for me is the coach, Coach Robert, played by David Oyello, because watching it, my wife and I were remarking about you know how rare it is to see a a black male in such a positive light in a film yeah. and he and it's not for selfish reasons he doesn't really want anything like yes he wants to be an engineer his main goal is to to be an engineer and and get a job working as an engineer and first of all the fact that he's got the qualifications to be an engineer but can't get a job in itself is something remarkable cuz he's not a gangbanger he's not he's not the um the dude on the bike that her older sister Knight is dating, who you know is a, a shady character. He's just a, a decent family man who wants a better life. And yes, he he I guess plays soccer for money on the side, but there's there's worse things 
that he could be. And he's a really positive influence on Fiona, and in some ways her mother. And it's just, seeing him in this type of film was something that I didn't expect. And I will say that when it comes to Fiona's mother, similar to the father in the first film, there's a point where she is hustling hard for her children. And I remember about halfway through telling my wife, I'm enjoying this film, but I kind of wish that Lupita Nyong'o's character as the mother, um, Naku, would, they would show a little more range to her because so far all I'm seeing is her just being angry and hustling, angry and hustling. And I kid you not, it was as if the film heard me and said, oh yeah, really? And right after I said that, we had about 20 good minutes of just Naku and you're seeing her different perspective and not just that she's sacrificing but that she generally cares for all her children and is and is willing to go almost as far as selling herself if if need be but she's still she's still dignified enough not to stoop to that level to find other ways to provide and i just got this wonderful facet of her which i had been asking for and the film was like oh yeah don't worry we got you there and it's just i don't know a lot of well-rounded characters in this film which i did not expect to see everybody is so well-rounded in this movie whether you know most movies i feel that with it's with a group of children only like two or three stand out and they're usually the most photogenic and then the rest of the group is just there and and the kids here they're all really well-rounded like you root for all of them whether it's you know her brother or the little girl gloria who's my favorite who starts crying at a certain point when she loses you know they're all really you remember them you know you know who each of these characters are even david oyelowo's character his wife which could have been just such a throwaway character or the woman who's like you need to get a real job and go out and make money because children are stupid you know could have been just a very one note figure even she is well-rounded and is like, yes, we need the money, but, you know, I understand the inner, you know, wh why you need to do this. You know, everybody just feels very lived in. These characters exist. As far as Lupita Nyong'o, I think she is just phenomenal in, in this role. I have to slightly disagree with you. I, and I think I see a lot of similarities to something like Lady Bird, where a lot of people were just kind of like, oh, the the Laurie Metcalf character in that movie you know, there were questions of whether she was just, you know, completely unlovable. And maybe because my own mother is a little taciturn at times, you know, Lupita Nyong'o's character is so, so afraid of her, you know, night turning into her, essentially, you know, and, and ending up pregnant that she wants to avoid that. But at the same time, she ends up pushing her daughter into that. You know, the, the things that parents say in the moment of an argument that it can be hurtful, you know, when she threatens to throw her daughter out in the street because she's pregnant, you know, those things feel real, but they're balanced out very nicely with other things like, you know, watching Lupita Nyong'o have to emote when her son has to have this uh, surgery without anesthesia and having to hear her child wail, you know, and scream while they're trying to save him. I mean, all of that just feels... Like, this is a movie that gets a lump in your throat because it makes you want to call your own mom. Be like, I'm so sorry. So I, th I think she's fantastic. But at the same time, it's it's a movie that isn't just about cliche. So, like, you know, I didn't want Fiona to have this epiphany and be like, my mom did everything. These children are already kind-hearted from the jump. You know, they're willing to give her their food so that she doesn't have to go without. You know, the ending of this movie just makes me saw, which we won't, you know, we don't have to spoil right now. But, you know, it's it's a movie where these characters aren't black and white you know, stereotypes. You know, they're not 
good and evil. It's just they're human. You know, they're all very authentic, genuine characters. Yeah, I would say the the only ones that felt like a caricature was the, I guess it was the headmaster at the um, yeah. at elite school. Like that that whole sequence from um, him trying to get the kids into the school. Well, amusing to I guess just up to the the actual international chess competition at the academy those were the, i think the only times where i i slightly cringed a bit because i felt like the film was starting to border a little on cartoonish especially like when they had the the shot of them at this you know lavish prep school if you will and of course the shot of all the empty beds and they're all cuddled on the floor and like for for me that was a moment where it's like oh this film's gonna turn into one of those 50 cent infomercial things but it, it doesn't it rises above that and i and i like that the head warden or headmaster of that school you see very little of you know because whenever yeah. whenever he's there i'm thinking oh no this film oh, it's going to turn into exactly what i thought but it, it doesn't he's just there for brief comic relief and then it's almost like the film reminds you oh this is what you think it's gonna be no no don't worry we got you we're good this is about the kids and fiona's experience and how she she evolves and i like that even as you mentioned she starts off very good and she, for the most the entire way through she she remains good but i like that as she gets older you've got all those teenage problems start to come in and you know the the conflict with the mother evolves the way that you would expect conflict would be if you have a teenager in the house and especially a teenager who has essentially lived in the slums all her life and now has had a taste of the other side you know taste of hanging out in pools and almost think- french fries and ketchup and- exactly thinking that she is above where she came from not realizing that you know or forgetting for momentarily that where you came from is what made you who you are today but i think it also you know for me watching watching them just like go silent when they see tennis court it makes you really angry that these kids are i think they mentioned you know robert says that kids can't afford school and it makes you remember compulsory schooling like that is not free. You know, it, it costs money to send children to school in other countries. And that's why so many don't go. And to, to hear the, these kids want to learn and that it, it's, it's upsetting that they can't because of something arbitrary like money, you know, and that they, you know, Lupita Nyong'o's character wants her daughter to understand that she might never make enough money to have all the things that she wants. Is it better for her to dream and then be disappointed or to just know the facts outright and then never wish for anything? You know, it's it's that weird catch-22, but overall it makes you realize, like, the class distinctions and how unfair it is that these kids have to struggle. You know, I, I've, I take a lot of history classes and I read a lot of history books, and the whole concept of, like, African colonization and how other countries, this is me shitting on my own country, I think, for this whole episode. Other countries essentially have, like, ruined upward mobility and, and upward development for Africa. And it, it leaves a lot of children just not knowing what they could achieve. So it, it for me, it just it made me mad. Like, these kids should be allowed to dream as big as they want. They should be allowed to go to school if they want to learn. And, like, how dare we as people have to tell them that they can't go because they can't afford it? Like, that sounds ridiculous. Yeah, the, the, the class system, especially how it's portrayed in this film, is is really fascinating to watch. Like, when they are at the, the prep school and they're seeing all the, the lavish uniforms and the amount of food that's on the table and what have you, 
there's I forget there's a, a there's a line that the I think it was the headmaster or or at least the one of the top teachers says that basically says you know we've got these kids here and we're being they're underprivileged children. Yes, yeah, it's not just that we have these people representing; they're underprivileged yeah. children. We're doing so, them a favor. You know, we, yeah, exactly. We are being good people because we are allowing these ruffians or rapscallions to sit amongst us for a meal, and and they can try and play chests you know we, we will take it easy on them but we're doing a good deed by letting them see what you can achieve in life and it's like really this is that type of ego being so bluntly on display like i think it's bad enough in society when when we kind of hide those thoughts and we we have certain policies that essentially enforce that type of mindset but when you're just so blatant about it you know when you you think that nothing can touch your your status because again we come from wealth and wealth means everything and even in her community as she starts to rise up the ranks there's a few people that make comments about her possibly moving on up or being too good for the um, Katwe culture but you never get the sense that the community turns their back on her the community essentially always has her back whereas if she had let's say in another type of film or another story gone to that type of prep school she would have been isolated you know like she wouldn't have that same kind of support because again no matter how fancy she dressed they would always know that she didn't come from money and it's and it's remarkable to think that this movie was written by a white guy you know it, it was written by william wheeler who ended up writing the script for ghost in the shell which is a movie that got slammed with cultural appropriation so i mean i'm i'm interested to see how much Mira Nair as a director might have helped shape that. Um, you know, I don't know. I just I think that's really, really funny that this movie doesn't really pander to a quote unquote white point of view. I think there's only like one white person that I counted in this entire movie, which is the young girl that um, she's playing against at one point at the end of the movie. Um, somebody can tell me if there were other white people in this, but that was who I noticed. No, so, there was that point oh, wow. where, sorry, I didn't mean to encourage you. There was a point where she, I think she goes to like Russia or Sweden? Something like that, yeah. Briefly, but again, yeah, it, it's very, yeah, that might, actually, that might be the scene where you see that girl. I think there's like one or two, but they're extras in yeah. this film. Yeah, and no speaking roles, which I was I was totally fine with. So, I, I mean, I think it's it's really funny. Mira Nair is a director who I, I don't think we give her due She's been directing for so long, and yet m her movies are still really marginalized in our, you know, filmography um, ever since she started. This is her last film in development right now. She has a, a miniseries that she's doing, but she doesn't have a film, which I think is ridiculous because I think she should be directing more. She's a director that's done some, like, incredibly, you know, colorblind films. I mean, she started out doing Indian films, and then she did Mississippi Masala oh, with, with Denzel Washington. And most people know her for Monsoon Wedding, which is very Indian. And then after that, she did Vanity Fair. It's a very Victorian novel with Reese Witherspoon in it. It's not a great movie, but it's not terrible. I mean, it's hard to adapt that novel and then she did the namesake which is again a return to this kind of looking the dichotomy between indian heritage and americanism and then she did amelia which is the amelia Earhart biopic and there are other movies in between i'm just kind of going with the highlights and then she did this and i love how she's really unpredictable as a filmmaker you know she really likes looking at 
marginalization in some way, whether it's white female aviator in a male-dominated world, um, even though Amelia is not a good movie, uh, or, or, you know, something like this, or something like Monsoon Wedding. She's not pigeonholing herself into a particular category. And when we talk about women directors nowadays, I'm so shocked that she's not in the conversation more. You know what? That's a, a very good point. And listening to you talk, I was thinking about something that my wife and I say often now, especially when we see a lot of the advertising blunders or guffaws that we've we've had in like the last two years. And I always tell her, you know, the problem is you don't have a person in the room representing whatever group has been um, slated in, in the commercial. Right, so whether it's the the H and M in the UK with the the black kid wearing the coolest monkey in the jungle oh, yeah, T shirt, or um, having Kylie Jenner take uh, an, a protest turn into a Pepsi ad, like there's times where you think, you know what, the the problem is you don't have people at the top levels, the you don't have that person in the room, you don't have that man or woman in the room that is of a particular minority group or just a minority in their own end to say hey that's not a good look here's why and with marinara her films as you were listing them off and i was thinking about how many of them i love like you know i don't think you mentioned the perez family which right. i think is also great and again looking at marginalized people marginalized communities and i would argue that some of her least strongest films um as you said amelia which is you know a bit of a misfire and vanity fair are are the ones where she is playing to the the traditional white period piece that we're so used to you know and even though she's talking about marginalized women in, in those films i feel like she's trying very hard to to fit into a preconceived notion of what those type of films should be. Whereas, They're very Oscar bait type of films. And exactly. I, it always makes me wonder if I told you that a white director who was a man had made that movie. If I, if, you know, if we had been saying that Martin Scorsese directed Vanity Fair, would, would the treatment be different? We'll never know. I mean, that's all armchair, you know, prognosticating, but it does make you wonder, you know, if, if this had been some mediocre white male, directing this movie would these be different i i think so i think so and when we were talking uh, when andrew and i were talking about antoine fisher I, I was i think it was either myself or andrew was commenting on how you know denzel did that film and it does at times feel a little you know oscar baby almost like he has to prove himself that he can do those type of films um and with miranera i think Amelia and and Vanity Fair are those type of films. Like she can do Monsoon Wedding, everyone, you know, wonderful film. But people are like, oh, but you know, can you really do a, a proper Oscar type of film, i.e., a traditional film with white leads and you know, an epic period film or or biopic, a Darkest Hour type of film. Whereas Scorsese could do Amelia the exact same way, and it could be just as flawed. But people would argue, oh well, it's artistic merits you know, would give him the benefit of the doubt, whereas for her, oh, you did Amelia, sorry, we're not going to think of you in the same way as a woman who, who did all these other great films that we've we've mentioned. So it's it's very interesting, and I think her focus on, on culture, just in all her films, and being a person who knows what it's like to 
to be viewed a certain way, it adds something to this film. It adds a certain layer of authenticity that, you know, is very enriching that I don't think you would get from other directors. Like, everything that I feared that this movie would be is something that had another director handled it, it probably would be. But she knows that, you know, those are her fears as well, and she's not going to make that type of movie. Yeah, I I would definitely agree. And, you know, I I think this movie specifically, you know, I I think I mentioned this with our last film, I love that it values female intelligence or just fostering intelligence in children. You know, this is a movie that doesn't have a cell phone in it. This is a movie that doesn't have a computer in it. You know, there's this concept of teaching children to use their minds and and value that. And the fact that she's a prodigy is is really irrelevant. Um, But it does make you think, and it kind of goes back to my point about how it sounds so ridiculous that children are limited because of money. It makes you remember, think of how many children or, you know, future prodigies, someone who could cure cancer, that we probably don't know about because they couldn't afford to go to school. And, And they it's fortunate that Fiona has been found and is, you know, this, this brilliant mind. This is also a movie that I am one of those, if I don't understand a game, it's why I hate gambling movies because I don't understand poker and, and, you know, card games. So I usually just really zone out. This is a movie where even if you don't understand chess, they explain it to you very well in a way that never feels like exposition. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is true. Th- thinking of, you know, my limited experience playing chess and by limited meaning playing against people that are far superior in the game than I am. I know the basic moves and how, you know, the rules of the game and stuff, but there were there are certain strategies that they were talking that, again, another film you might have just tuned out, you know, oh, too much jargon. But here it's like, oh, OK, you, you almost feel like you you, you could uh, at least sit at Fiona's table at the end of it, knowing full well that she's going to whoop your butt but they they explain things so well and just the simple fact that yeah she can see eight moves ahead and then she'll show you exactly here's what i'll do then this is what you'll do and it's like oh okay that's i you know it it makes chess interesting and when you have sports films about certain sports that aren't necessarily fast pace or certain games that aren't aren't fast pace or what we would consider thrilling in the conventional sense it, it takes a lot to make those scenes um captivating and i will give credit to um the actress that played fiona i think was it medina nawanga um sorry if i mispronounced her name but she's she's phenomenal in this film like even her just kind of sitting there and looking at the board getting emotional at times getting cocky at times all through just facial gestures you know body movement she really helps to to add a certain tension to a lot of those chess scenes. Yeah, for for a young actress who had never acted before, you know, she's she's so great. You root for her. You root for all the kids, really. Um, you know, she's a young girl that's had so much put upon her, and she never gets cynical. You know, even the moments where she starts to give up or something like that, you know, there's there's still this light to her and this this determination because at the end of the day, she still has her family. And she still has this community, which is why it's ultimately like the saddest, most heartbreaking moment when she decides to stay with with um, David Oyelowo's character and not her mother, because her mother feels like she's failed in some way. Uh, you know, it just she has such a great chemistry with Lupita Nyong'o. Like you could easily believe these two were mother and daughter. Yeah, and it's funny because when you were talking about her staying with the coach, I had forgotten how much I how much those scenes also impact the the mother daughter dynamics. And 
one thing that I love about this film, and it's a very small thing, but at the end, they do one of those things where you see the real life uh, and give you a little blurb on, you know, what has come of their life since the uh, what you've seen in the film. And I don't know. I know a lot of films do this, and you'll see, like, the photos. Of, but there was something really that got me emotionally, seeing the actors side by side, the real people, and then getting the story and realizing that a lot of these people at some point have lived with Coach Robert and his wife. And, like, I know they've, I guess they started up a school or a foundation, but, you know, he's, he's he didn't just help foster her life. He's helping change a lot of people's lives. And just something as simple as, hey, I know you're in a tough spot right now, but you you can come and stay with me and my family just for a few days. Simple gestures like that can have huge significance for, for a lot of people. And that's something, again, that you don't normally see in films. Yeah, it, it, and again, it goes back to this concept of community. You know, even the characters that you don't know, you know, whether it's the, the women who are selling things or the guy who's giving Lupita Nyong'o's character the corn um, and, and saying that he needs his money. Like, there's still this relationship. Nobody is acting maliciously. They're acting out of individual best interests, and they're all trying their hardest. Um, you know, I, I don't think you would see that in a film that was set in, like, Chicago or something. You know, it just it wouldn't exist um, for, for a lot of different reasons. So I like the community element there. Um you know, the the fact that David Oyelowo's character and Lupita Nyong'o's character, they kind of spar. Any other movie I would have thought would have taken liberties with the story and had those two develop a relationship. You know, this, like, antagonistic relationship. And they, I love, love, love that they don't. Um, they don't even imply it. Um, because so much of the movie is about other people telling uh fiona's mom you know you need to find a man if you found a man you wouldn't have these problems if you weren't so proud to ask a man for help you wouldn't you wouldn't be like this and it's really relatable maybe because of my own family background it's it's really great to watch her say like no you know i i'm not gonna do that you know why why submit to somebody else's authority when i can do it myself yeah that's that's very true and even early on you have other people kind of instilling fear in her you know oh well what's that what are they doing with your your children at this chess place you know they're i'm sure they're probably making them work in a sweatshop or or gambling gambling gambling. yeah and all these you know old wives tales that are are starting to seep in and at at first it, it, it does impact her but as you said you know when coach robert and her get down talking the first time it's like stay away from my children it's like well no let me show you i'm trying to help them here's what i can do and then later on there's there's a moment um when he he's talking to her and he, he's trying to help show her why it's important for, for fiona to to go on this trip but he makes reference to fiona getting the best education possible and the mother takes it as a slight well you know i never got to that I forget the exact term, but it, she he doesn't realize that he inadvertently insults her. That and she's and she gets up and kind of walks away. And she's like, "Yes, I you know I didn't have that type of education." But you get the sense of like, yes, she didn't get the education, but she still is doing damn well to provide for her children. And you know she she may not have the the book smarts, but she she's still smart enough to know how the the game is played in the society and how she's gonna survive. And again, a small nuanced moment between those two characters, but so rich with symbolism and. And thought. Yeah, and I think that the movie really shows that both of them 
have these different parenting styles and these that neither one is wrong. You know, they're just they understand different things about how they want to be there for the children. And I just, I love David Oyelowo. He's like, it's always perfect. And I love how he chooses to make movies almost exclusively with women directors. So he's like, awesome. <laughs> I, I do want to throw out the ending will make you cry. So just prep for that. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. It, yeah, it, it, it Are does. Are you made of stone? I usually am. And I, I will say, you know, it, it didn't, it didn't, <laughs> the tears didn't come down. You know, the stone did not crack, but it did touch me. And I think this whole film did did get me. I was I was surprised by how engaged I was with this film. And also just the fact that I feel like this film should have gotten far more attention and notice than it than it did. And I, I think part of that has to do with the marketing, but also as as we've discussed, different opinions. Good old fashioned racism. Yeah. Opinions <laughs> different opinions that people have that they sometimes I, take I will, into movies. I will throw out, if if you liked Black Panther, go watch this. Because I think I think both of them, obviously both of them star Lupita Nyong'o, so, like, connection. But I think they're both really great examples of how Hollywood is changing, as representation changes. You know, I, I think, I, I obviously we can't say Black Panther exists in a vacuum. It didn't, you know, representation mattering didn't begin and end with that film. So I, I think both of them are worth watching in in unison, not comparison. In unison. No, I I agree, uh, and I think um, that's a a perfect note to end on. Uh, Kristen, where can people find you? You can predominantly find me on Twitter at journeys underscore film. I also do two other podcasts. Uh, well, technically three, but I don't remember the website to download the third one. Uh, <laughs> you can listen to me weekly talk about feminism and film at citizendamepod.com or citizendame.podbean.com. Or if you want to hear me talk about classic cinema, I you can listen to me at ticklishbusiness.podbean.com. Listeners, you can reach me at our Twitter account, at ChangingReelsAC, or you can reach me at my personal Twitter account, at SmallMind. Um, also, you can send us an email at changing.reels.ac at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. As always, please take a moment to rate and review the show on iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you're listening to us. You know, Spread the word, because we love talking about representation, inclusion, diversity in cinema, and we think more people need to as well. And remember, you can change the conversation about diversity in cinema one reel at a time. It's been a presentation of the Modern Superior Media Network.